0: Is it going to work? Is it going to work? Is it going to work? No, it's not going to work. No? It's facing the wrong way. (laughs) Hallelujah. How do we do this? We have a techie right here. (laughs) Okay. Do you uh, see me? Do you see Uh, me? Do you see me now? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, you see me normal? Yes. Okay. Good. I guess the point is I should not see myself. (laughs) Okay, so let's start all over here. So what we're going to talk about is the modern-day issue that we're going to discuss before we're going to get into the mysticism and see how we can come back from the mysticism um, to understand practically how we can deal with this. And this is, this is, if I may say so myself, this teaching. It just blew me away uh, when I was working on it. Um, so the point is that every teaching, regardless of what teaching it could, be, it could be, the most loving and... and, and benevolent and compassionate teaching you can always look at it as the cups half full and the cups half empty the general difference between the way of musar teachings and the way of Hasidus teachings is that Musa focuses on having us accept the depth of the gal self-centered arrogance of our body's drive me 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 the teaching of Hasidus focuses on having us fully accept the divinity of our, of our soul and how precious our body is to God. And I put a little footnote in the notes here where you can actually see a quote from the teaching of Ayom Yom. And this is a quote. We have absolutely no conception how precious to God is the body of a Jew. That's where Hasidus is coming from. Okay, so then you get it. The uh, Mussar teachings are going to be the cups half empty. The Hasidus teaching is going to be the cups half full. But when a cup is half full, you can always see it as half empty. And thus even the teachings of Hasidus can have us seeing things in a less than precious way. For example, one of the primary focuses of the teachings of Hasidus is bitul. The word bitul literally means self-nullification. To be mevatul to nullify the yeshus, the ego, the arrogance, the narcissism. Now, that teaching, that main focus, it's not like just, oh, one teaching out of the hundreds of thousands of teachings of Hasidus. No, that teaching drives over and over and over again, and it takes us to the focus of the depths and internalizing the depths of the teaching in the Talmud, which says, and I'm gonna quote you a piece of Talmud here. Rav Chista says, And some say that it was Mar-Ukva who said this. Concerning any person who has arrogance with him, the Holy One, blessed be he, said, he and I cannot dwell together in the world. As it is stated in the verse of Psalms, he who slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I destroy. He who is haughty of eye and proud of heart, him I will not suffer. Now you know that the Talmud always has a play on words. So the word says itoi. Right? I'm sorry. The word says oisoi. Him loyukal. I will not tolerate. However, the letters to the word oisoi and the letters to the word itoi in Hebrew are the same, and the difference is just in the vowels. Thank you. With that being, I'm sorry, Marcelo. Can you just bring a chair for her? I'm sorry. Thank you. Here. So the point over here being is thank you. The point over here being is that it's saying, switch the words. It's not oisoi ukal, rather it's itoi, God saying with a person who has arrogance, a person who's haughty and proud of heart, with him I cannot live. I can't dwell together with him. And thus the ego pushes away ragle ha the footsteps of, of the shchina, the Divine Presence. Okay. So with this being taught I want to tell you another teaching of Hasidism which again can drive us to that half-empty cup. I'm worthless I have no meaning and that point is Shalom and that point is that when it comes to the prayers the letters of prayer the Zohar the Holy Zohar says as follows that even our service to God has to be cleansed by the angels and thus the Zohar says, Menashkin law, 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 the angels hug, they kiss, are, are words of prayer. because anything that is delivered by the human will have the fingerprints of the human, the fingerprints of the any creature is survival, which ultimately means that I am the center of my universe. Thus, selflessness is impossible, truly selflessness, where I am not the center, is not possible for the human, and thus even my service to God is considered, quote-unquote, gross, because in the realm of absolute transparency and selflessness, (laughs) selfishness is, is like horrible. It's like the tiny little stain on a beautiful white silk dress. It's going to be noticeable. And thus the angels have to clean our service to God from our ego before it can ascend. Now imagine what a person who does not have a healthy identity and self-worth will do with that. Imagine what happens if you sit in yeshiva... And Fabrengen, after Fabrengen, you're being told how the human being is arrogant. We need to break our arrogance. We have to give up our minds. We have to give up the I understand, the I want. It means nothing. It's all about obedience. Imagine what we're going to end up doing if to start with, you have a low self-esteem and a very unhealthy state of identity and self-worth. So therefore, with all of this, Really, when we come, our generation probably, and and, and it's interesting, but the anonymity of social media just made it a million times worse, we really struggle with self-worth, a healthy self-worth. We're a generation that is continuously consuming either chemical or behavioral drugs to numb our sense of shame and lack of self-worth. We're trying to fill an emptiness within us which always says I'm not enough. Now imagine if you take a generation like ours and you start teaching Chassidus. We're not talking about Musa here. This is supposed to be to focus on the divinity of our soul. But imagine when you start emphasizing how the main thing is to break the spirit of the horse because if not you can't ride the horse. And the horse is our body, our drive, our our ego, and so forth and so on. This becomes a problem. So, in this lecture, we're going to go beyond the first dimension of these teachings, the ones that we quoted, and we're going to fully embrace the power that God has placed within us humans alone to be the center of the universe and in the ultimate control room of all existence because of how precious and loved we are by God. Those last words are going to play a big role. We're not the center of the universe because we are so special. It is because we are so precious to God that we're the center of the universe. Not that I can really quote the exact quote that I heard on on public social media, but uh, you'll fill in the blanks. But I once heard this great saying, each and every one of us thinks that we are the blank around which the world evolves. Okay, and the blank uh, is not a uh, positive word. So on one hand, and they're they're both almost mutually inclusive, because I think I am a piece of blank, thus I'm going to compensate it by thinking that the entire universe evolves around me. And now when you introduce to such a person the words that I shared with you, Bittle, give yourself up! You on your own right are, 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 are gross. All you think about is the survival of I, the self-centeredness. Where is the feelings for others? Imagine what such a teaching does to a person who already is always trying to, feel, to fill that emptiness within him and the, 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 the total denial of any self-worth. Okay? Okay. So just that you know, This lecture is based on a Mimer, a Hasidic mystical teaching that the Rebbe of Blessed Memory delivered in 1965, exploring the Torah secrets of how parents give birth to either a boy or a girl. Now, please do not give me that, oh, we now know this is scientifically not true. I'm not going there with you. I'm going to quote with you a Talmudic teaching upon how we can assure whether our offspring is going to be a male or a female, okay? Now, I want to back up for a moment. And I want to share with you something very special about tonight's class. In 1992, today, the 27th of Adar, the Rebbe had a stroke. Months prior to that stroke, I was actually there by the talk. The stroke happened in Adar, and this happened in Shvat. So we're talking about a month and pika before that. The Rebbe suddenly said a teaching. He said that because my father-in-law was not able to speak, because the previous Rebbe had a stroke, his predecessor, thus Hasidim have to become the mouthpiece of the Rebbe and spread the teaching. When the Rebbe walked out of that talk, the 770 was packed. We all could not leave. There was just this foreboding. Why did the Rebbe suddenly talk about this? A month and something later, we understood why the Rebbe spoke about this. The Rebbe ended up having a stroke, and we would not hear the Rebbe's voice again. Thus, really tonight, I want to dedicate this class to really getting out of the way and being the mouthpiece for a Rebbe whose job it is to do teaching Hasidus. Okay? So that's what tonight's class is all about. With that being said, a son or a daughter? Let's talk about some introductions. I have three introductions for you. Our Torah portion begins with the laws of childbirth. And it says, If a woman emits semen and bear a man-child, isha Ki zriya, and gives birth to a man-child. That's the other side. Or not, I'm not sure. So, the question the Talmud says is, Why do we say that the woman emits semen? Why don't we why don't we attribute the admission of semen to the man? It says, And thus, it explains And the Talmud. I'm going to quote to you what the Talmud says. Rabbi Isaac, citing Rabbi Ami, stated, If the woman emits her semen first, she bears a male child. If the man emits his semen first, she bears a female child. For it is said, if a woman emits semen and bears a man child. Our rabbis taught at first it used to be said that if a woman emits her semen first she will bear a male and if the man emits his semen first she will bear a female but the sages did not explain the reason until Rabbi Tzadok came and explained it there's a verse in Genesis which tells us the offsprings of Jacob and when it comes to the sons it lists the sons by the mother These are the sons of Leah. These are the sons of Rachel. These are the sons of Billah, These are the sons of Zilpah. When it comes to the daughter, it says Dina bat Yaakov. Thus we see from that verse that we attribute the males to the female and the female to the male. It goes further. And we quote another verse that says, And the sons of Ulam were mighty men of valor, archers, and had many sons and sons' sons. Now, is it within the power of man to increase the number of sons and sons' sons? Does a man have control whether he's going to have a son or a daughter? So the answer it says is, but the fact is that because they contained themselves during intercourse in order that their wives should admit their semen first so that their child shall be males, Scripture attributes to them the same merit as if had they had themselves caused the increase of the number of their sons and sons' sons. It's because of their action that they gave birth to boys that later went on to become the soldiers and rather than girls. Now, sum this all up. This explains what Rabbi Katina said. I could make all my children to be males. How can Rabbi Katina say that? Because he knows the secret. He just has to make sure that he isn't the one to omit semen first. And then Rabbi says a rule. One who desires all his children to be males should cohabit twice in succession, and the meaning the commentaries give is because if you cohabitate twice in con- in concession, even though in the first cohabitation there was first the man gave the semen and then the female, but then we'll come along the second cohabitation, which would mean that the female's semen would be first to that one. Okay, what exactly this means? I'll leave it up to all the scientific minds. I'm just quoting to you a Talmud that is used <laughs> all the time. Okay? What we're going to do is not get into the uh, physical sexual part of it, but rather we're going to get into what this means spiritually. But I want to first go further with the physical teaching. Usually Okay. Okay, beautiful. Okay, beautiful. So now okay. thank you for sharing that. So now let's go ahead and see what happens. So on this week's Torah portion, in the mystical side, Shneir Zalman of Liadi, which is the founder of Chabad, the author of the Tanya, he quotes this whole thing and he says as follows. There was two opinions, the philosophers felt that the reason why if the woman omitted semen first it would be a male is not because the women were first but only because by the women being first the men were second he says this is not correct it's very difficult to say this because the wording of the verse clearly connects the offspring male to the woman not because the woman it was first or the man is second now i want to share with you this footnote over here that i put what's the difference if it's because the female emitted semen first or the man emitted semen second what's the difference there's an argument in the laws of kashrut and i quote you the talmud from Pesachim. we're concerned whether if the food one food fell into the other food if the cold fell into the hot or the hot fell into the cold So the makhloikis, the dispute over there is on a scientific level, which one prevails? Tatogava or ilo'agava? Does the upper one prevail over the lower one? Therefore we need to look in the kashrut what was going on in the upper one, whether it was hot or cold? Or do we say the lower one prevails? And overcomes the top one, therefore focus on the lower one. Halakhically speaking, till this very day, we follow that we, the lower one prevails. Tato Govar. Now with that being said, we can understand how on a spiritual level and on the halakhic level, that's what the Alt-Rebbe is saying that the philosophers are following the opinion that the upper one prevails thus the reason why if the female admits semen first the child will be a male is not because she admitted semen first because she would be the lower one she admitted first thus when the man comes along and later admits second he's the upper and therefore the philosophers follow the opinion that the upper prevails however the halacha is that the lower one prevails, and thus the real reason why, if the woman emits semen first, it will be a male, has nothing what to do with the male later emitting semen, but rather the lower prevails. Thus truly, the connection between a son and a mother is deep. Parenthetically speaking, when the second Lubavitcher Rebbe died, so his son didn't become Rebbe rather his son-in-law slash nephew became rebbe he didn't want to become rebbe and someone told him the alter rebbe had a girl the girl comes from the father the girl the daughter had you the son comes from the female thus truly you are the true inheritance of your grandfather Thus, it's for you to keep your grandfather's teachings alive. And he agreed. So this is not simple. We really say that the male offspring is connected to the mother and the female's offspring is connected to the father. And thus, you have daddy's girl. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go further then. Ah, The Rebbe, a blessed memory, in 1965, he wants to know... Why did the Alter Rebbe quote the philosophers and then discredit it? It's not the ways of Hasidis to bring process of elimination. That's the ways of the Talmud. The Hasidus doesn't bring an opinion and then eliminate it. That's not the ways of Hasidis. How much more so the Rebbe wants to know why does the Alter Rebbe bring the philosopher's opinion first and then discredit it? rather than first stating the truth and saying, and this is also to show us that the other one is not. Okay, two questions. And thus the Rebbe goes ahead and extrapolates from here that the first opinion is holy, the first opinion is very important. And now we're gonna stop talking about the admitting semen on, on a physical level, and let's get into the spiritual source from where it all comes. What happened at Mount Sinai? At Mount Sinai, God held the mountain over our heads, we're taught to give us the Torah. The Talmudic approach is that God said, either you accept my Torah or I'm dropping the mountain. Kabbalistic approach is completely different because we're taught that the mountain was decorated with flowers and really, according to Kabbalah, God held up the mountain over our heads when he gave us the Torah because it served as the chuppah canopy. While he was marrying us. Thus, we have the supernal couple in which God is the husband and we are his wife. So, everything we're talking about, woman emits first, male emits first, we're now going to take it to a different dimension. When we say the male emits first, we're talking about God the arousal that comes from above because as we'll soon see complete grace of god we didn't earn this god gives it to us when we talk about from below we're talking about that our service creates a cause and effect by the choice of god god does not have to affect any cause that we do he's not bound to it but by his choice he created a cause and effect Thus, if we're the one that does the cause, that means it came from below. Thus, the entire conversation now on whether the upper prevails or the lower prevails becomes very interesting. We're arguing whether that which comes from above, from God prevails, or that which originally comes from us prevails. Now we understand why the Alter Rebbe quotes the philosophers in his mystical teaching and why he even quotes it first. Because even though he does not finalize his opinion like that, but he's going to start with the opinion that says that God prevails. Because if we're saying that even when the woman emits semen first, it's not about her admitting semen first, i.e. it's not about what we, the woman of God, does. But rather it's all about allowing then for God to make the difference. That's what it means when we say the upper prevails. Thus the Alter Ebbic gives respect to that opinion because at a mystical level of what it means, not only does he give it respect, he actually quotes it first. However, ultimately, God's opinion, the the Torah's opinion is that it's not that the upper prevails, but rather what we cause through our cause and effect is even stronger than what God does out of simple grace. And now we need to understand this. How can we say that the lower prevails when we know that the lower is us and the upper is God? (laughs) That doesn't sound too good. That sounds kind of difficult, right? And nevertheless, if you people are familiar with the Talmud, the Talmud talks about where God gave a certain verdict, and then down here, they said a different verdict. And because God said that the Torah was given to Earth, and thus judgment needs to be decided by the physical human being, He said, You won me, my son, you won me. Thus, it's truly that the lower prevails, but we're going to get into it on a mystical level. You with me so far, Sam? Okay. So, let's do this. (sighs) What is the plus if it comes from above? And what is the plus if it comes from below? (coughs) So this is going to get mystical. So really, guys, hang on with me. And then if any questions, stop me. Even though I usually run a monologue, so don't get off question. But if there's something I said specifically you want me to repeat without a question, stop me. If you have a question, please write it down. We'll talk about it at the end what is the virtue if it comes from above and what is the virtue if it comes from below the answer is that if it comes from above if it's god's grace what i could or can't achieve is insignificant because it's coming from god it's coming from above it's not earned thus what comes from above is greater and higher simply speaking you can sit and work on having a spiritual arousal and feeling for the god for your people for the torah for israel you can work on it but then sometimes when you just go to the hotel you didn't even prepare yourself you didn't go to the mikveh and meditate the other way you stop by the shop, you got yourself a nice t- turkey, Turkish coffee and you had yourself the hummus and everything and you come to the hotel and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed by a feeling. That didn't come from below, that came from above. And it, it, it totally disregards whether you deserve or don't deserve and how did you prepare yourself and how did you purify yourself and did you open yourself up to have any feelings? Because from above, it's just greater. However, from above, it's external. Thus, you know, just gonna throw this out there, NDEs, near death experiences, don't last. The impact they make don't last. You'll find someone who was in a serious car accident, a real NDE, and swears up and down that he will never drive like a madman, and he will never drive without a seat belt, and two weeks later, guess who you see driving like a madman without a seatbelt. Because that which comes from above is the external light, and thus is not internalized by us. That which comes from below, it's yours. Why is it yours? because it is the internal light, not the external light. So the external, I'm sorry, the external affects the external and the internal penetrates the internal. So on one hand, we have the virtue of from above that it's higher and greater than where I could reach on my own, but it's external, it's a ray. While that which comes from below isn't going to be higher than I can reach. But on the same note, whatever it does reach is not going to be the external expression, but the internal essence. Okay? Now, for that, we need to just explain one thing. Just to make this make sense. I'm I'm stating it and you're just accepting it. Oh, yeah, okay, the rabbi said so. Don't do that with me. Let's understand this. God created the universe, why? Not because he wanted a universe. The universe serves a purpose. When there's something that I don't want other than the purpose it serves for me, then my wanting that is called external will. I don't want you because I want you. I want you because of what I can have from you, which is something else. What is the desire and the purpose of God creating the universe is for us to be able to actualize Torah and Mitzvot God's Torah and the commandments thus ultimately we are the internal will of all of the universe while the universe in itself is the external will to have a universe in which God would not give his people the Torah and the Mitzvot would be meaningless. So he goes ahead and he creates all this stuff for one reason. So in the year 2448, there will be a people when offered his Torah will say, We will do and we will hear. I want you just to make sense, and I'm very mindful that this is your first type of class that we're doing this. So you see this guy in his office, the CEO, huge headaches this and that to come and get at me just leave me alone you know <laughs> no one knows this but when the CEO closes the door there's only one thing he says why do I work with such idiots <laughs> now what happens all of a sudden I of not here and out of nowhere on the way home from school his son walks in and he catches his eyes and all of a sudden you see a total transformation do you know why Because everything he was dealing with, all his different categories of supervisors and everything, was the external will. And the reason he's doing all of that, that child. That's his internal will. Thus, here you have a very clear difference in the way God manages this great big company called the universe. And then along comes a little yiddela davening. Hashem, please, I need your help. Hashem, I want to get closer to you and all of a sudden there's a transformation. Now you understand why the universe on its own right, only even though it comes from above, God created it, but that's only the external light. While when we come along and from below, we do something, a cause and effect relationship that comes from us using the Torah that God gave us, now we're talking about the internal, okay? okay. I want to share with you one more thing. This is going to get mystical, so just uh, you know, buckle up. Chapter two, ethics of our fathers. There's a saying, Da Malamayla Memoch. Know what is above you from you. Simply speaking, it means know that there's always, even when the policeman and mommy and tati and the teacher and the principal aren't there, there's always a watchful eye and a watchful ear. God Almighty. That's the simple teaching. Let's get the mystical teaching. Comes along Rabdo Bear of Masrich, and the Masrich says... No, read it like this. Da, you should know. Ma'la, Maila, all that which is above Mimcha, comes from you. Well, that's a problem. You want to tell me that that which God gives me or doesn't give me it comes from me because the verse says, and if you shall follow my statute... Okay, but that's not what he says. He's going back to the beginning of the beginning. Everything that exists in the spiritual realms, where it all began from, you should know is from you. Please pay attention. I didn't say because of you, I said from you. How can that which existed before me be from me? Right? So for this we have a teaching in the Medrash. The Medrash talks about the verse, "Nasa Adam, God will make mankind in our image. And over there, the question is as follows. When it says that God, um, uh, cons- uh, He counseled, he, he took counsel. He took advice. So the question is, with who do you take advice? So the simple verse says, He said to the angels, Let us make mankind our image. There's another opinion in the Medrash that says as, far, as follows, me nimlach, with who did I c- take counsel whether I should create the world or not? In the souls of the righteous and here I want to immediately add on the verse in Isaiah Every Jew is righteous at some point, at some level. What does that mean that God took counsel with the souls of the righteous whether he should create the world or not? We weren't there. This is when I told you, buckle up the entire umbrella of time where there's a past a present and a future is a creation time and space are both interlocked creations of god which means that prior to this creation there did not exist neither time nor space so the entire notion of well how old was God when he created the universe? There is no such concept of time or space before the bet the voracious, and the bet is the second letter which stands for two, and the magid says that bet, the two that God started creation with, was time and space. Spiritually, this means above, below, before, after. Physically, we know what it means. Thus, we have over here a very powerful concept that means that by God, past, present and future coexist. Which means that God knows what I'm going to do tomorrow not because he knows the future but because I already did it because the past and the future coexist. Thus in the depths of the teaching what this really means is in the thought essence of God prior to time and space In the thought essence of God is engraved the image of us and our actions. And thus truly it is from that engraved image within the thought essence of God that God created the world. Thus the Masritcha Magid literally means what he's saying. You should know that all that's from above, all that exists long before you were born, really comes from you because in the thought essence you existed before you existed and I'm going to stop using that language because of whatever. If you watch Harry Potter, it all makes sense because if you remember, her mind can turn back time. <laughs> but other than that, we don't get it. My Maimonides actually, when he talks about the question of how can there be freedom of choice if God already knows what you do and knowledge of God is... An imposition upon the facts. He says we can't understand it. And the reason he says we can't understand it is because the human mind really cannot fathom to understand what it would be without time and space. What does it mean that tomorrow happened already? What does that mean? But that's the fundament of this teaching. Thus we now understand that everything that exists is from us. We're soon gonna discuss how this introduction plays very into whether the arousal is from above or from below could it just change the whole dynamics if everything is from us, okay? Okay, let's go to the next piece. With all this said, let's now go into the lecture. This was all the introduction now for those who are here for the first time the way this lecture works is after i give all the introductions i'm going to give you a list of the mystical concepts that we're going to talk about we're going to go through each one of them and then we're going to wrap it up so here's the list of the mystical concepts. what is the month of Eloh versus the month of nisan number one number two the female empowers the male you all know this and the symbol of this is what the symbol is that by your chuppah, god willing you're going to be circling the boy seven times and the reason why you do that is because the male does not have the power or capacity to marry. He needs the feminine empowerment. So the female empowers the male. And that's one level of the female. And then there's another level where it's not about the female empowering the male. It's the female's power within herself, who she is, without empowering any male. And then the next thing we're going to talk about is the second of Nisan. Okay, that's the list four concepts. Let's go through them. This Shabbat is Rosh Chodesh. So that you know, this Shabbat, I actually made a typo here. I wrote, wrote, we take out two Torahs, we take out three Torahs. We read the Torah portion, we read Rosh Chodesh, and then we read HaChodesh. So in in the third Sefer Torah, we're gonna read the first commandment that God gave us while we were still in Egypt. And what is that about? That you should know that the month of Nisan is the first month of the annual month cycle which creates something that only a Jewish mind can absorb. <laughs> Rosh Hashanah, New Year's, is the first day of the seventh month. Can you imagine? New Year's. Seven, one, the year. Passover, which is the middle of the year, literally six months into the year, is the first month of the year. Why? Why do we have these two beginnings? And the answer is because they represent two different cycles the cycle of Nisan the word Nisan means miracles and the cycle of Tishrei is nature now I want to talk about this in in the language that we were talking about until now Nisan is the cycle of miracles which is from above Tishrei which is New Year's Yom Kippur all of this is about Teshuvah repentance it's all about from the above so the month of Tishrei, right? That's six months from now or was six months ago. That is from below. But where we are today is all about from above. Now there's a rule in Hasidus. The teachings will always emphasize and focus on the virtue of what today is. Thus why would the al Rebbe in the month of Nisan talk about that the, you should know the final verdict is It's not about because the man from above emits second But rather it's because the woman from below emits first This is the season to talk about the power of from above Not the power from below So much so that the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Who we're going to talk about in a moment His site, He passed away on the second of Nisan He starts one of his teachings called HaChodesh he starts it with, why do we need anything to come from below? Why do we need to have this service where we have to much when what comes from above is so much more beautiful and so much more greater? The reason he asked that question is because this is the season to ask that question. This is the season of miracles. This is the season where we should be getting out of the way to allow everything to come from above. Yet, the outer ebba. Even though he starts off with the opinion, I'm sorry, from the above, where does he go right after that? He says, It's very difficult to understand this because the correct opinion is that it comes from below. It isn't the time to talk about this. Such a mimer he should have delivered on Rosh Hashanah where we focus on the power of man's service to God, not in the season where we're focusing on God's miracles for man. Okay? The question makes sense? So, let's go further. All right. we We will now need to understand something about the below and the above. So I want to share with you as follows. When we talk about the power from above, what comes from God's grace upon us, there's a difference when we talk about it pre-receiving the Torah or post-receiving the Torah. Because once we receive the Torah and God told the angels, you, you're familiar with that argument that Moses had with the angels? The angels told God, you're giving your perfect Torah to imperfect beings? To no Give it to us! Perfect beings with no evil inclination, no faults, Let us carry your perfect Torah. And God told Moses, answer them. And Moses says, oh really, you want the Torah? The Torah says, don't steal. You ever had an intuition to steal? The Torah says, honor your father and mother. Do you angels have fathers and mothers? The Torah says to celebrate Passover because I took you out of Egypt. Do you even know what it means to be suffering and slavery? Obviously this wasn't meant for you. And thus the Torah came down here. When the Torah came down here, when God gave it to us, god moved the control rooms of the entire universe to here this is where it all happens this is where we decide what influences from above will or will not come down and thus we now have the verse god is your shadow god is your shadow means that god is reacting to the movement of my hand the shadow doesn't move the hand the hand moves the shadow because god gave the torah which is the controls of the universe to us down here thus even when we talk about the miracles that come from above prior to Torah that's all about from above once it's down here the Torah even that which comes from above comes from us thus you understand what the philosophers are saying they're saying that the woman amid semen first which empowers the man to later make a difference by his emitting semen. Thus, even the philosophers agree that we need to have the woman, us, from above in order to empower, whatever that's going to mean, God from above. This we need to understand. Okay. In order to understand this, we're up to uh, B. The female empowers the male. We explained before that the arousal from above is higher and greater, however, it's the external. And we gave the reason why, because that which comes from above is the external will of God. The only reason why God gives from above is to empower us that we can later come from below. It's all about how we're going to make our choices Angels don't have freedom of choice Therefore what they do is perfect but not precious We have freedom of choice Thus what we do is not perfect but very precious Okay? So it's really all about down here So what comes from above is external ray Okay? Simply speaking what that means is It's post-contraction In other words, when God wanted to create a finite world, how do you make a finite world from an infinite light? You're gonna have to create a contraction pulling back the infinite light, allowing for only a finite ray. Thus, that which comes from above is the finite expression, right? What happens with what we do? What we do is different so now let's talk about two levels of from above and let's talk about two levels from below when it comes from above level number one is that it's only external that's because it comes from above without our influence however once god gave us the torah and even what comes from above is a shadow to what we do here below Thus, what happens now is that the from above, which is only external, because we have influenced it, so the from above that comes after the from below, now is not only great, but also internal. Because we were introduced to the picture. And what we do, like the kid that walked into the Father's CEO office, now grabs the essence of the Father, capital F, and thus what's being given is the internal. Thus from above, there's two levels. There's from above, pre-we receiving the Torah, it's just from above. It's just a business running and sometimes God wonders why he ever did this to begin with. Where do you know that God wonders that? The story of Noah. God, it says there, and God felt bad that he created the universe because all men have become evil, and he brought the flood. So that's happening before, Nisa, the, before the Nisan, before God gave us the Torah. Once God gave us the Torah, even that which comes from above, because it's no more welfare, it's because of what we're doing first here before, be, before that. It's the cause, the cause creates that effect, and thus the effect is different. Thus, what God gives us from above is also now all about the internal. I want to take it a step further. Why does God give us anything from above? So the answer is, it's a verse that Micha says, ki chafetz chesedhu. God desires loving kindness. Thus, God wants to give. Now, what I'm going to say now, take it at face value. I mean, don't... God has no form or shape means that God isn't even benevolent. Because benevolent, even though it's a virtue, it's a form and shape. He's benevolent and he's not mean. He's good, he's not bad. When it says that God has no form, it doesn't just mean physically. It means spiritually. Virtue or not virtue. God is beyond saying that God is benevolent or anything. Thus, from the essence of God, what brought forth that God desires love and kindness? Go back to what the maggot said. Know that everything that comes from above is from you. Thus, even that which is God desires loving kindness, ultimately all came about because of us being engraved primordially in the thought essence of God. Thus, without us in the picture, all that the world receives is an external God desires love and kindness. That's like, you know, you get off the 95 and there's a person there, what, you're not gonna give him something? But once we introduce into that God desires love and kindness, the thought essence of us and what we are meant to do for God, now it's now driven with an inner essence of God. It isn't just throw the poor a couple of of, of, uh, coins. So in the from above, there's two levels. From above, without us. And then there's from above, with us. Thus, even the philosophers agree that the woman, when she gives her seed first, that empowers the man who gives the seed second. Which that's going to mean for us. That even the philosophers agree, anything that comes from above, from God, is sort of lifeless, shallow, and pale before we first arouse God to give from above. So even though they're saying it's from above, it's still all about we need to empower that because then when the son comes into the CEO's office and he remembers why he's working so hard, his life, he's alive, he's awake, let's do this. Very different than before the kid walked in. Where he's like, what time is it? Is it 5 o'clock yet? Very different okay now that is the female's power for the man that is how the jew empowers anything that comes from above by serving god thus everything has deep deep purpose and deep essence within god now i want to talk about the female's power from within itself and to understand the female's power from within herself not what she does for the man but the woman in her own right which is far greater than what she does for the man, we need to understand a new concept. We spoke about from above, we spoke about from below, right? Now we're gonna talk of a third concept which is called the gift from above. Now here's the secret of the gift from above. The original from above is the external. The from below can't go farther than what the below can reach, right? We can't get past the contraction. We can't get into the infinite. However, when we talk about the gift, the gift is from above. But not by the external grace. But the thought essence transmission. Let's talk about this for a moment. Let's really get it's getting late, so let's let's really explain this quickly. Okay? When I say that the above the emission the of the man seed, i.e. God, is a reaction to the below, right? What we did, the cause and effect, God is my shadow. We're talking about that level where it's kind of God is as small as we can absorb. Right? We earned it. We earned what we earned. We can't earn more than what we earned. When we talk about a gift from above, we're not talking about that which we earned. Because in the face of the infinite, that is pittance. Rather, what we're talking about over here is that God gives a gift, however the gift won't arrive until after we do everything we need to do. Whoa, 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 one second. If we just said that the gift comes from God, then why do we first have to do what we have to do? So I want to just share with you. The Zohar says, The Zohar says that the Divine Presence will never rest in anything which isn't whole. Which is why, sing your famous song, Ose Shalom Bim Romav. If there isn't peace amongst us, if we aren't a whole unit, you won't have God's blessing. Thus, the end of the entire Talmud is that God found no vessel for his blessing other than peace. Because each and every one of us alone is lacking. It's only when we unite as a whole. So that means it's not that I'm earning God. It's not that God's paying me for what I've done. Rather, I'm just removing the obstacle that God's presence won't be here if this is not whole. Thus, I do everything, I complete everything I need to do, not because that's gonna earn me God's gift, but rather it'll make that the blockage of not being complete is removed. Let's take it deeper. Yeah? Sure. There's a difference if I'm saying that I have to earn this. If I have to earn this, if you're gonna pay me for what I'm doing, well, depending on what I do is how you're gonna pay me. If we're saying that you're not gonna pay me for what I'm doing, you wanna give me a gift, but in order to forgive me a gift, this gift can't be in a dirty place. It's a blockage. I can't bring this gift into this dirty place. So clean up the house so that it'll be able to come. Your cleaning the house isn't working for your gift. The gift comes from God. That has nothing more to do with how much you could or can't earn. But you have to remove the obstacle from the gift. So you and I having a fight is an obstacle for us to be open to receive God's blessing. When we're getting along, it's not that we earned God's blessing. You can't earn a gift. Rather, we remove the blockage from receiving the gift. Thus, the third level is the gift which comes after we become complete because God's presence doesn't rest in that which isn't complete. Make sense now? But there's a problem here. I told you we need to talk about from below. And I'm talking about God's gift from above. And I'm emphasizing that you should know that whatever happens from below isn't from below. It's just removing the dirt so that we can deliver the gift. What's going on here? Just like I said, there's two from above, there's two from belows, And this is where it's gonna get practical. Mystical and then practical. And we're gonna wrap it up. There's one from below in which I do what I have to do and that cause creates an effect. So if any of you ever read John Bradshaw's book, about healing the shame that binds you. He coins a very beautiful concept. We're human beings, not human doings. And yet each and every one of us define our self-worth by our doing, not by our meaning, not by our being. Now let's talk about this. When I am talking about from below because of what it does for above, then I am a doing, not a being. When the female is all about what she empowers the male, then she's not a being, she's a doing. When the Jew is all about what it opens up from heaven to come down here, then we're being doings, not beings. When we talk about the way we exist in the thought essence of God, when we talk about us being engraved in the being of God, We are experiencing the ultimate beingness. Because us being engraved in God's thought essence has nothing to do with what I do or what I don't do. It's what I am. I am my father's child, not because of anything I did for him. But that I come from his deepest essence. How that is explained. Thus my beingness is not about what I do or I don't do my beingness is that God has chosen that my image was engraved in his thought essence in the beginning of all beginnings. When we talk about what the Jew can do from below in empowering what comes from above, we're talking about the lower dimension of the human. When we're talking about the Jew, where it's not about what I do, it's about what I am, regardless of what I do and a rebellious child is not a child a rebellious son is a son a rebellious daughter is a daughter you can disown them and take them out of your will hundred and forty five thousand times but they're your offspring the beingness when it's not about what I'm doing for God but rather that from me came everything because God chose to have my image engraved in his thought essence then we can get to the beingness of who I am rather than the doingness of what I do. Thus when we talk about the female as she stands within herself, not what she does in empowering the male, we're ultimately talking about that third dimension. We're talking about revealing that within me if I can just get out of my way, I will see that I am the ultimate being within the oneness of God's being, His thought essence. I wrote another piece. You can read it later. It's getting late, so I'm going to skip that. I want to go straight to the closing. In closing, I want to discuss by, opening, by our opening modern day issue expressed in the title of this lecture. The lecture was about beyond the shame. Now, what is, what is man called? It's all mankind. What is all mankind called in the Torah? Adam. Adam, even though most people think it's the male, it actually says, and God created male and female and called them Adam. Adam refers to the entire species. What is the word Adam, Adam? Where does it come from? Just One of two things. One or two things, one is the word Adam, is from the word Adama, the earth, for from the earth have I taken him, and thus when you see yourself as Adam of what I can do and what I can't do, it's because I'm seeing myself that I came from the earth, and as God decreed from the dust you have come and to dust you shall return thus all I'm doing is trying to overcome that feeling of nothingness for what am I but from the dust and to the dust however there's a verse in which it says Adam le'Elyon the word Adam means from the word Adame adame comes from the word Dome what does Dome mean? Similar, likened. What did God say when it came to creating the human? Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Thus, on the deeper level, why are we called Adam? Is not because of the nothingness that we come from. From dust you come, to dust you shall go. Which is that? Why that? I'll spend my entire life doing to get past that shame. But rather, if I can embrace that I'm Adam Le Elion. Not because of who I am, but because who God chose me. God chose to have me engraved in his thought essence. Thus, if I can embrace my my ultimate beingness, regardless of what I do. And I, I want to take it one step further, which is not in my notes. I can do what I do in order that I should be, or I can do what I do because of who I am. If I'm doing what I'm doing because of who I want to be, then I'm consistently fighting that depth of nothingness. I am a nothing who came from dust and then returned to dust. And thus I'll never get past that shame. But if I do what I do, not because of who I want to be, but rather as a reflection of who I am, then we're talking about embracing the depth of our divinity. I want to just make this practical for a second Practically speaking What is modesty all about? So there's two reasons why we talk about Women should dress modestly Not that men can dress not modestly But I want to talk about women One reason is a verse "Lifne iver Don't put a stone in front of a, a tumbling stone in front of a blind man And from that perspective We are all Adama We're earth We're nothingness A man cannot control himself, thus we ask the woman to cover who you are because you are an arousal and you are whatever it may be to to, to the man, right? That's one way of looking at sniut. Okay. When I talk to my daughters about sniut, I have three daughters, and I'm not talking about their dress code just. I'm talking about the way they sit by the table. You know, they're, 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 they're sitting like this. You know, it, it just... I was brought up that the women don't sit like that. Not that men do, but it is something when a woman sits like that or she lays on the couch like, like this. I mean, it, it just... It's different, you know? No one should smoke, but when a woman smokes, it kind of touches me differently. With that being said, what do I tell my daughter? I don't tell her, really? You want the guy to look up your skirt? No. I tell her, sit like a princess. What's the message here? The message is do what you do because of who you are. You are a dhamma Elion. You are the manifestation of the supernal one. Thus dress the way you dress because of who you are. It's not dress for who you want to be. You are who you are. And if you can stop fighting that and embrace that, then your doing will be the doing of what you're doing because of who you are beyond the shame is when i stop trying to become through doing because then by definition i'm always backing out of nothingness i'm never embracing my ultimate somethingness when i do what i do because i am what i am then it's all a reflection of my accepting the great depths of the divinity I am a a divine being having a human life. And thus I live my human life in accordance with being a divine being. That's how we get past the shame. Thank you people.